For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, those online. Hello to you as well, and those that will watch this later. Uh, for those that missed it, uh, I hurt my foot, probably broke a toe right before service, uh, unfolding some big metal ramp things that we have. And um, I have to say, out of 13 years of doing this, I, this is a first for me. So we'll just get through it together. Maybe a short sermon today. Well, I don't know. Who knows? But uh, well, welcome, and thanks for being with us. And for any of our visitors, thank you as well for being here. And we're going to uh, open with a word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as Terry mentioned before, uh, it's Advent season, which uh, we got a little prelude to a cantata that's coming up in a few Sundays, a little bit later here in December, uh, which our choir will be doing uh, the, the sermon time. will be uh, preaching to us through song. Uh, so we got a little, a little sampling of that, I believe, here today. So thank you very much. That was great. Uh, and as we do think about Advent, Advent is a great time of the year for many different reasons, but one of the things I love about Advent is it's a time to really settle in our hearts. And it's a time to really put priorities in priorities. And it's really time to remember that not only did Jesus come once, but he's coming again. And actually this whole season of Advent is not just us to remember that Jesus came as a babe, but actually to remember as a church and as a people and as a follower of Christ that Jesus is coming back again. And it's a time to get all our hearts right. It's a time to prepare as much as we can to receive Christ to the fullest that we ever can, which is the season of Advent that we're here in once again. Now, many times in Advent, uh, we do have done different things, but I want to do something a little different this year. And I wanted to just focus on the big, huge, important thing. Knowing, of course, uh, that a lot of times we come to Advent, we want to preach about you know, all the different shepherds and different things, all the story of Christmas. I want to do something different this year, and I wanted to focus on the heart of God. And what I mean by that is, what is the whole purpose of Jesus coming in the first place? What was his goal? Well, why did he even bother coming? And specifically, what difference does it make in our life? Now, of course, we would all say to ourselves, well, Jesus, you know, came to this earth and he, you know, saved sinners and has brought eternal life to all of us that would receive him. And that's all true. That's great. But I wanted to go into some more details, some more specifics about how Jesus works in our life. And so as we're here today, we do have a sermon series entitled, Our Needed Savior. We're going to be talking about different ways in which Jesus and what he has done for us really impact our life here and now, and things that he does that no one else can do. And no matter where you look in our world, no matter what you go to, no matter what you do, you will find it nowhere else but in Jesus Christ alone. Today's topic is a fun one. It's called guilt. Well, I uh, recently, my brother introduced me, was, uh, he came in town for Thanksgiving, and of course it was nighttime, you know, you're hanging out, like, and you're just, you know, we have, he has kids, we have kids, so we're just destroyed. I mean, we're just laying on the couch, like, I can't even think, I can't even carry out a conversation. And so we put on a movie, and he's like, oh, let me show you, I found this movie the other day, let me show it to you. So I'm sitting there, and we're watching this movie, and it's called Yesterday. Have you seen, has anybody in here seen the movie Yesterday? All right, good, this is going to, the sermon start off really well here, this is going to go really good. All right. 
So let me, let me tell you a little bit about this movie. All right, first of all, let me ask you this. Are there any Beatles fans in here, as in the rock group, the Beatles? All right, okay. Almost everybody raise your hand. All right, so do yourself a favor. I like the Beatles too, um, but I went and, and my brother introduced me to this movie. I, I just missed it because it kind of came out kind of COVID era and all these different things. But it is, a, it is a movie, and the premise of it is this. Is there's a singer-songwriter guy that is just not going anywhere in his career, right? But this is what he did, his passion, what he's doing. No one cares about any of his songs. And then all of a sudden, he, uh, this weird kind of event happens where the whole world just kind of goes weird. He gets to end up hitting by a bus. When he wakes up, no one knows the Beatles or any of their music. And then there's other people, too, actually, that no one knows. But he specifically learns that no one knows any of the Beatles' music. And so, of course, what does he do? He's a singer-songwriter, wants to, you know, go his career. So he starts testing the waters and, quote-unquote, writing, as in, claiming credit for the songs. And everybody's like, these are wonderful songs, right? And so if you're a Beatles fan, it's, one, it's a beautiful tribute to the Beatles in, in general and the songs and the music that they have. But the second thing that's amazing about it is that you see the life of this man totally transformed and the people around him totally transformed by the music. And of course, as the movie goes on, it's one of those movies, even if you know the plot line, I'm not really giving too much away because it's, it's, it's so witty and so, so really neat. They do some good twists on everything. And one of the most amazing parts of it is, is uh, how they show, you know, he's an oral. Now remember, no one remembers the Beatles. No one knows he's making up this music. He's, you know, just telling the lie and making it up as if he's making it up himself. No one knows this. No one will ever find out this. Yet the movie does such a great job of showing the guilt that he lives with, of living the lie, of knowing in your heart of hearts, even when no one else knows, in your heart of hearts, you know what you're doing. You know what you've done. You're still living that lie. And in so many ways, it comes out in his life, and you see this kind of domino effect, and it's this beautiful thing. And it's a great story, too. It doesn't end all sad. Don't worry. It ends really happy. Watch it. You'll love it. And of course, you know, if you're like me, I keep singing the songs like for days on end, and my daughter now runs around. She's singing, oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. Life goes on. So if, you, if that happens, it gets stuck in her head, which you know this for all of us. So I, I apologize if you're with my daughter. She's going to sing it to you pretty soon here as we're here. But the whole idea of that that idea of sin and guilt. One of the things that sin does in our life is it brings great guilt. Not only if sometimes we live a lie, sometimes we think we're not going to get caught and all these things, but yet it plagues us. Because when we do wrong, or when we hurt somebody, or when we left some good undone, there is a powerful stain on our soul. I don't know if you're like me, but my memory stays with me of my guilty times of maybe when I've done something I shouldn't or didn't do something that I should. That's almost like a hound chasing a fox. It keeps baying and coming and finding you when you least expect it. It's like the Edgar Allan poem that we all know so well when quoth the raven, nevermore. And it comes at you. It comes at you. I know for me, when I think about Probably the most guilty things I can remember in my own life. They were basically in middle school. A hard time for many of us, and I pray, any middle school teachers that are watching this, I probably pray for you. I know I pray for teachers all together, but I pray for you middle school teachers. Uh, you guys an extra special blessing in my prayer time. I pray for you all. Because I know for me, it was not only a time of, of just so many mess-ups, of just kind of learning life and getting awkward and all those things, you know, and things are going on with you, not only your, your life and your, your learning so much, your brain's growing, your body's developing, all these different things, but... You're just trying to learn life. 
And then especially those matters of you know, romance and love that you have no clue what to do. How do you ask a girl on a date? You know, and all those different things that you just mess up and do wrong. Or the matters of just fitting in with your peers and when to say no and when to just go with the crowd and when to just feel like you need to be accepted by people who don't accept you unless you do what you want, right? But for me, I remember those days had many times of guilt. If I was to basically sum out my middle school years, before I was really walking with Christ, and it was just a life, a season of my life, I look back on it and I just think, man, there was so much guilt there. And, you know, I don't have any big, huge, dark skeletons, I say, in the closet per se, but the ones that are the worst are from those middle school years, right, for me. And I look back on which I would be so ashamed. And I remember it was really one of those things that when I first encountered the gospel message and people were telling me about Jesus and and I told you that story how on August 11, 1996, I gave my life to Christ because I heard the gospel preached and the message of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection and his life that was being offered, and I accepted it in a very real way in my life. My life changed. But even so, in accepting it, I remember how much I struggled with this idea of how much I felt, how could God still forgive me? Because I've done X, Y, it was easy to believe God loves people. It was hard to believe God loves me. It was easy to believe that forgiveness is for everyone, but it was really hard to believe forgiveness was also for me. And I lived with guilt for many days of my life. Well, one of the, the fun things you can always do is uh, go to Google for answers. And, uh, you know, whenever you need a good quote, you go to Google. And one of the, my favorite things to do, you know, I don't use many quotes in my sermons per se a lot of times on purpose, but a lot of times uh, I go to quotes and just see what's online and just see what's out there. So I Googled, you know, uh, quotes about, about guilt, right? And I was amazed to know that, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to sometimes compare the quotes of, like, Christians to non-Christians. I don't know if you ever do that. Just, it's kind of a fun little pastoral game I play sometimes in my head. And, uh, and so I did that this week. And it's really enlightening to go out and actually do this. If you haven't ever done this, try it this week. Google, you know, famous quotes about uh, guilt, right? And then you'll get kind of different lists of different things. It's really interesting to compare a Christian perspective versus a non-Christian perspective. One of the reasons why I want to preach this sermon series is when I kind of did this, I realized how unique our faith in Christ is. Like, this is actually a, a huge different thing that really you can't claim in any other possible way in which Christians believe it. Because when I Google guilt, there was just page after page of quote and quote and quote of every bunch of different psychologists, bunch of different, you know, people, a bunch of different, you know, help books and all these different things that were out there. And you can kind of summarize it, kind of the, the advice they gave in these kind of three camps. The first one was, uh, it's karma, people. It's going to come back. What goes around comes around. So be good so you don't feel guilty in the first place, which, okay, it doesn't really help you if you feel guilty, not feel guilty. You know, like, it doesn't really actually do anything to your guilt. It just helps you kind of think in the head and not, not go on that path. The second way was... Uh, just kind of in Elsa's words, let it go, let it go, right? And it was just this kind of idea like, just, you feel guilty? Just don't feel guilty anymore, right? Just kind of leave it in the past, as in just, and the idea of almost just that skeleton in the closet. I did just stick the skeleton in the closet, close the door, and forget about it. It's just there, right? Like, that was kind of the advice that was given in, in many of these quotes that I read. And then, of course, uh, the third version of it was this idea, was you got to forgive yourself, right? you got to forgive yourself. And I don't know if you've ever, ever tried to do that. Now, there's an element of truth to that that we'll get to in a minute. But, but if you've ever tried to do that on your own power, you quickly realize you have no authority 
over your guilt, right? You can't tell your guilt to go away. That is, that is not something that works, right? Your guilt is still there when you tell your guilt, I'm not going to feel guilty anymore. I forgive myself. Because most of the time, a lot of times when you feel guilt, it's because of something you've done to someone else. You don't need your forgiveness. You need their forgiveness. And even when they offer it, you still look back on your life. Even when you try to make reconciliation as best as you can, you can look back on your life. And that guilt can still be there. And yet, when you read the Christian perspectives, you get something totally different, don't you? And of course, if you've been following Christ for any length of time, you know exactly where the rest of this sermon is going. But it's this idea, is that when God looks at our sin and the guilt that is with us, the guilt that's just harboring in our hearts and is there and chases us down when we least expect it, God speaks to us. Not only does he speak words into it, he spoke life into it. As in he spoke a person coming to this earth and becoming flesh and blood that was fully God in Jesus Christ. Born in a way that we would understand as a babe. And all the frailty and humanness of that. And yet grew up, went through all the different trials that we went through, was tried in every single way that we can possibly imagine, and yet was sinless. And that person, Jesus Christ, began to teach about the kingdom and began to say, hey, people, God's out here, God loves you, and not only that, but we have this whole thing upside down, and he changed everything. He said, hey, don't search for power and money and wealth and fame. Search to serve. Search to be humble. Search to love the other, even when they're your enemy, even when they do you wrong. He taught such messages over and over and over. They taught about reconciliation and told stories of sons that had done horrible things and had basically spit in their father's face and disgraced them in many ways. And yet, forgiveness was real the moment they came home. This man, this God in flesh, was not just something that happened in history. It was a needed Because nothing else can take away our guilt. No one else has authority to take, cancel, and forgive sin than Jesus Christ. One of the things I think about so often is this needed Savior that came to us. And when I think about the power of guilt over our lives and how destruction it reigns, and it was, it was interesting, to, even when I Googled those famous quotes, the amount of people that talked about the destructiveness of guilt in someone's life. The, what it, how it plays out and how you know, searching for answers of trying to get past it and how much it just wreaks havoc on the soul and the spirit of who we are. And yet Jesus came to forgive sin. Moved by the story that's found in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus finds a paralytic and he tells the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees all around him go, you can't say that. Right? No one has authority to forgive sins but God. And then Jesus says, hey, is it easy to say that? It's easy to say that, right? Which one's easier for me to say right now? Your sins are forgiven or, hey, paralytic, get up and walk. Then Jesus says to them, he says, so you know that I have the power to forgive sins. He tells the paralytic, get up and walk. And right before them, the power of God displayed to know that Jesus Christ has all authority to only forgive sins, to wash us clean. 
guilt. When I think about the power of the Gospel of John, especially when you read, as we have a famous quote, of course, is John 3.16, right? Which we all kind of heard and seen and is written on billboards all over the place. But the verse right after it, and even 18 after that, are both wonderful as well as, this is worth hearing again today. It's so amazing. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Let's read 18. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, from our perspective, the solution to guilt is actually not a thing. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, one of the things that we always deal with is how can God just forgive me? And I know when I struggled with it in my old days, I told you how in middle school I struggled, and even when I first started really following Christ, I struggled with that. I remember I would go to you know, youth events and things, and there'd be kind of the altar call thing, and I'd always come trooping down right, <laughs> to the altar call time and time again. And, and I remember uh, uh, you know, one pastor was getting frustrated with me. He's like, Jonathan, like, you have been down to this altar before. You know that God loves you. You know this. And I'm like, I know. I just, I just still have so much trouble like, feeling it. And, and I remember time and time again the different struggles I have. And so I wanted to offer this here today for you, just a couple thoughts about if you have faith in Christ, yet your heart still has that guilt, that struggle there, to believe that Christ would actually forgive you. I wanted to offer you some hope here today of our much-needed Savior as we remember this candle of hope that is lit on this Sunday. First thing I always think about, of course, is, the obvious one is that if you do know that someone has something against you, if you've done something wrong, try as best you can to make restitution. And oftentimes it's almost impossible, but of course, God calls us to do the best we can in those situations. So of course, do that. But the second thing is this, is when you trust in Christ, think about the cross. Because when Jesus forgives sins, he doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He doesn't just put it in the closet and hide it away. When Jesus forgives sins, he got on the cross and paid the price for the sin. And so at the end of the day, no one gets away with sin at all. The cross paid for it. We never got free of it. It was paid for by Jesus Christ. And so this free gift, the free forgiveness that we sin, or that we receive, that is, is not something that we earned. Not something that was just given. It was something that was paid for. One of the things that was very moving to me is when I would imagine Jesus on that cross, I imagine him looking at me. And I remember these words in John 3.17. As if they were spoken when Jesus is looking directly at you. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You struggle with guilt. If guilt plagues you, Jesus Christ came for you. And the forgiveness is available here and now. We simply trust in Christ, ask his forgiveness, and lean on him. One other thing that I found very helpful in my life and you know, I've talked about it a lot lately, but I think it's worth hearing again, is that um, one of the most powerful things you can ever do in your, your walk with Christ is to, to band together with other Christians and actually kind of have like a small group, if you will. And so 
many of you have been on Emmaus, you, you do the, you know, the share groups, if you will, and the, the, the you know, those, those groups. And, but it's a powerful thing when you're really serious about following Christ to sit with other believers that are serious. And those moments where those things that you're guilty of or the things that you've sinned in that week that you just need to confess, and you confess it before your brother or your sisters that are there, Christ with you. One of the amazing things that happens in that moment is that not only does it just have the sense of, hey, I'm admitting to this and I'm owning up to it and I'm not running away from it, sweeping it under the rug, but I'm, I'm naming this guilt, which is powerful in itself. But the other thing that it does, in a very real way, you experience God's forgiveness. And here's what I mean by that. When you tell someone, and they know all your biggest faults, and they're in their group with you, and yet they love you, and they look you in the eye, at the end of that meeting, they keep loving. And then the next week, keeps going on. And the next week, keeps going on. Right there in front of you, brothers and sisters, is God's love known in flesh and blood right before you. And when you do that same thing for another person, where they can tell you all their dirty secrets, if you will, all their horrible things, all their darkest you know, desires of their heart, and yet you help along life's journey, to not fall into those temptations, but to flee them and to go towards God. When that person looks you in the eye and chooses to love you anyway, you know it in a very real way. Those same eyes of Jesus Christ on the cross that looks at you and loves you and died for you and for I so that we could be forgiven of sin. And that guilt cannot just be run from, Guilt could not just be ignored, but guilt could be paid in full, once and finally for all, that you and I could be free. This Advent, Jesus is once again our needed Savior. Once again, the hope of the world who came once and is coming again. Let us be found free of guilt when he comes. Let us pray. God, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your words. We thank you so much for the scripture that talks time and time again of your purpose coming to us. And as we're here today, Lord, we know that there are so many blessings in life in this season. There's so many different mirths of, of just being together with family or being together with loved ones or being together, and just enjoying life. And yet, God, so many times we can only be surface level. God, as we're here today, we look at this candle of hope. You remember that hope isn't just for those who are skin deep. Hope is for even those who look at their very own actions in their life, that feel that guilt. That God, your hope is for us. Amen. So as we hear today, God, we proclaim you, Lord, once again, not only of life and death, but of sin and guilt itself. Free us always from the shackles that would bind us. That death could no longer have its say. That God, we could be free, free at last. Here today. Amen.